Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor. Go and give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to and loving the Tome Show for years, weeks, months, whatever it is, go and give us a rating because that one rating will help us out a ton. It will take less than one minute of your time. In fact, I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read a new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's five-star review comes from WCole220. It is entitled Druid Hate. Great podcast. Tieflings rule. Warlocks are better than druids. Well, thanks, WCole220. You're right. They are. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com, where out of print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell them your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is the Complete Fighter's Handbook. It's an out-of-print AD&D book, which inspired the Unearthed Arcana article we're discussing on today's episode. You can get the book for as low as $3.50 at noblenight.com at the time of this recording. Let's hear a quick word from them. In an election year, gamers can be divided on almost every issue. Is it more important to support a small business or to have the convenience of buying your gaming products online? Do you play shiny new systems full of epic awesome or gritty older out-of-print games that make even the groggiest of nards quake with fear? In this economy, is it time to stock up on as many high-quality discounted gaming products as possible, or is it time to sell the old gaming products you aren't using anymore? We are divided on every important issue. So in 2016, you should support the store that lets you do it all. Noble Knight, a brick-and-mortar small business with a strong online presence that has new products and specializes in out-of-print, all at a price you'll love. And yes, they'll buy your old gaming products as well. Check out the incredible offerings at noblenight.com. Tell them the Tome Show sent you and help make gaming great again. Today, we're talking about the latest Unearthed Arcana article, Kits of Old. Then, it's an interview with Realmworks lead developer Rob Bowles about some exciting new announcements for the campaign management software. Let's meet the panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What's your favorite gaming snack food? James Hake is with us. James Hake, what is your favorite gaming snack food? My favorite gaming snack food, oh, it'd have to be just a nice big bag of salt and pepper flavored potato chips. Ooh. My brother always brings them over. Excellent. Excellent. Salt and pepper flavor. Do you like the kettle cooked variety? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you read my mind. <laughs> yeah, I like those a lot too. I thought you were going to say salt and vinegar at first, and uh, and then we would have a disagreement. So I'm not about the salt and vinegar. <laughs> uh, so sorry to any listeners I might have just offended. I know people get passionate about their chips. And uh, Scott Dyer is with us. Scott, what is your favorite gaming snack food? Salt and vinegar potato chips. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I love it. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, we right. need 
Yeah, we need somebody to eat up those ungodly creations. Uh, so, uh, uh, so you're a big salt and vinegar chip guy. If I'm going to eat chips, yeah, it's got to be salt and vinegar. Cape Cod. Oh, nice. That's brand new. Nice, nice. How do you feel about, since you're, you're in Maine, how do you feel about Maryland crab chips? Oh, I haven't had those. Oh, they're amazing. They're amazing. They're like, you know, they have uh, crab spices on them. They're, they're quite delicious. So That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. They eat them in the wire all the time, which is how I found out about them. Uh, <laughs> uh, Neil Powell, who is new to the roundtable, but certainly not new to the podcasting uh, circuits. Uh, Neil, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself and then tell us your favorite gaming snack food? Okay, so like you said, I'm Neil Powell, and I am one of the hosts for the Dungeon Masters block. Uh, Started out just being a person doing a segment for him, but as of the start of this year, I am officially one of the hosts with DM Mitch and DM Chris. So that's awesome and exciting. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations. That's great. My my favorite snack is actually beef jerky, but... (laughs) There's a caveat there in the sense that I don't like the terrible stuff you get from like a gas station, <laughs> Nam- namely with like the silica gel packets and like enough enough grease to run a car. Um, <laughs> there's a local place that does it and there's like no preservatives. So oh, I go with that. Nice, nice. Buzz market that place. What is the local place? It is Raven's Beef Jerky. Excellent, excellent. And just to ask, where do you come down on the salt and vinegar chip debate? I'm going to have to go with... with Team James, if you will, and to go with the salt and pepper. I don't like the vinegar taste. Oh, man. Well, Scott, you are certainly – you're you're in a unique category. That's all it means. You are you are a man of distinct taste, and you're not afraid to, That's uh, right. to put that forward. Uh, Ep- Epicurious.com. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he lets his freak flag fly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, you probably use words like mouthfeel stuff too right uh, <laughs> actually that's called the organoleptic effect by oh. The way. <laughs> oh that is amazing that? Oh, man. oh man i want to do scott if we could just do a a snack food podcast i would be so happy right now uh, <laughs> we got to sample everything though <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true yeah. yeah yeah so uh snack vendors out there if you're listening send all your snacks to scott and i right. and we'll we'll review you on our upcoming snack podcast but uh, on this podcast, we're actually going to be talking about uh, the Kits of Old article, uh, which is an Unearthed Arcana article which presents playtest material for 5th edition D&D. Uh, it's on the Dungeons & Dragons website. It's also linked over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com for this episode if you want to check it out uh, and follow along with us. They have talked about uh, in 2nd edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, uh, there were these things called kits, and they were first introduced in the complete fighter's handbook those kits now they have translated into D&D into these subclasses so they're bardic colleges and fighter archetypes um, for for people to check out uh, so we're going to talk first about the first kit which is the bard college of swords which essentially turns your bard into uh, a great melee fighter uh, gives them extra attacks lets them master making an attack as a bonus action when they cast a spell, gives them all sorts of fancy flourishes that they can use and allows them access to uh, the two-weapon fighting style and some uh, bonus armor 
and weapon proficiencies. Uh, so that's sort of the, the college in a nutshell. Pros and cons. Uh, James Hake, let's start with you. What did you love and what were you skeptical about in the Bard College of Swords? College of Swords is really cool. I like, um, I like how they took a different take on it than the sort of more warlordish uh, College of Valor. Um, I think the biggest, I don't know, concern is too harsh a word, but uh, <laughs> Blade Flourish is definitely my favorite ability. Mm-hmm. It's also one that I would expand on the most, just because it's a cool little, what is it, three flourishes, three different things that you yeah, can do. Yeah. I want to see more of them. I want to see more cool things you can do with those inspiration dice, because there's just a whole lot of design space that you can work with right there. They're almost like Battlemaster maneuvers, but not quite. You know, that's a great um, sort of uh, concern or, or uh, complaint, whatever you want to call it, to, to have. <laughs> like, hey, I'd love even more of this uh, is, yeah, is really. always a good thing to be hearing, you know. Uh, I agree with you completely. I would love to see more flourishes. Uh, and I do think it, uh, you know, when I first started to read it, I was like, how is this going to be different from the College of Valor? And it is very different from the College of Valor. Uh, you know, it's not leadery so much as it is it makes the bard kind of their own fighting force which is uh which is neat uh how about you scott what did you think of the college of swords well when i first read about the uh, proficiency bonuses i thought that was kind of lame you get medium armor and a scimitar but then when i read about (laughs) the two weapon weapon fighting and then you can also add your modifier to the offhand damage that's pretty nice and i like um the what is the last one the unnerving unnerving flourish so mm-hmm. instead of killing somebody, you can drop them to one hit point, and then you put the fear of God into them, and then you can uh, uh, interrogate the hell out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I did think a little bit about the the bonus proficiency plus the the access to a single fighting style uh, sort of forces you to make a Drizdord and uh, sort of type fighter who uses two scimitars. Um, but then you do, you get all these extra things that are like, oh, you know what? This actually makes it more bardy than anything else, uh, which I really liked. Uh, Neil, how about you? What did you think of the College of Swords? I liked it, and I did a lot of research trying to figure out the inspiration for it in terms of what they were in, uh, coming from from second edition and thankfully they put in keywords like they are called blades so i just looked up blade and it's there in the complete bard from second edition and i think this is actually the one that most closely aligns itself with the original inspiration so i thought that was really cool and i love the flourish because it makes me think of the like eastern dramas and right. the, the dancing with those scimitars and everything but then the Scott had mentioned the unnerving one, so much RP behind that. And I just love that because it's such a cooler way to have you interrogate the person at the end besides just like bonking them on the head and dragging them back and saying, oh, we'll talk to this guy. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, there is there is some great role-playing opportunities within combat, which I think is always a good thing when, when a player can grab onto something and even within combat continue to play the role of the character, uh, you know, is, is awesome. It, it bothers me when we separate role-playing as its own thing, because you should be doing it throughout. Which, uh, that's how you sort of maximize the fun, or, or, or it seems for many people anyway. College of Swords, we all seem to be in agreement, was a great... Uh, subclass. So moving on then to the College of 
satire, which turns your bard into a jester. It was certainly different tumbling powers and uh, fool's insight and fool's luck. Uh, all these things that really, again, focus your bard and kind of make them into something totally, totally different. You gain proficiency with thieves' tools and sleight of hand, so this is more of a rogue bard. Uh, that was It was great to see that. Um, so what did you guys think of the College of Satire? Scott, let's start with you. That is way more fun than the College of Blades. <laughs> I, I can really see some good role-playing with this character. I like that tumbling fool. So you, uh, what do you get? Uh, dash and disengage when you tumble. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Who wouldn't love that? You can climb full speed. Uh, you can fall like a monk, take half damage. <laughs> uh, but the, I think the best power, though, is uh, the detect thoughts. Because uh, yes. if they fail a save on it, they get a consequence. <laughs> I thought those consequences were great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, loudly pass gas, unleash yes. a thunderous burp. Yeah, I mean, that stuff <laughs> yeah. is, is is super, super fun and super fun to, to role play. Uh, Neil, what did you think about the College of Satire? The Tumbling Fool, while awesome, feels a little front heavy. I mean, I assume the player just shouts parkour and starts doing whatever they want <laughs> because you just all of a sudden kind of climb speed. Like it just, everything about that description makes me think of parkour. It's the only thing that's a little interesting to me is that it kind of strayed from the second edition one in the verbal components because mm -hmm. the second edition one focuses a lot more on like the oratory skills of the jester and being able to, to do things like that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, and what's odd is that it's the only one that does it, is that for its uh, fool's luck, there's a negative penalty mm. associated with it. If you take the re-roll, you give the DM the ability to force you to re-roll at another time. Right. And that, that was a very big component of the second edition kits, was that there were benefits and hindrances. So I think it's interesting that this is the only one that has that out of this list, as it was also the only one in second edition that didn't have a hindrance. So, <laughs> huh. so I don't know. Uh, they they're just trying to balance the uh, the scales of of D and D across the ages. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true that uh, that fool's luck ability, right? Uh, the the DM, um, again, it, it sort of invokes role-playing, too. When the DM invokes this penalty, describe an embarrassing gaffe or mistake you make as part of the affected die roll. Uh, you know, so again, we're, we're encouraging the player to role-play. But it is interesting to see that as, as part of this. Uh, James, Hake, what did you think about the uh, College of Satire for Bards? Read this over for the first time, and I dismissed it out of hand. It's like, oh, what a silly little <laughs> cute thing and let's let's see the the knight let's see this guy <laughs> um, but looking back at this it's actually a very fun i think it's the most flavorful out of all of these this is the, the most high concept totally. even if it's low humor mm -hmm. um just because I could I could make a cavalier or a scout in any number of ways. Looking at the next few subclasses we have to look at, I could even make a college of swords bard with a um, with a valor instead if I really wanted to. But this jester bard is something that I don't feel as though we've had mechanics to properly <laughs> represent before, and I think that's so cool. I love it when something can be done in a completely different and in the case of this one, very fresh way. 
Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely right about that. This is this does feel very different from anything we've seen, uh, and it is the one of all the subclasses here that I agree is is one of the most flavorful and encourages a ton of role playing. Man, it is a cool, cool college. Uh, it made me want to to play a bard. So, uh, which you know, I'm not one of those anti bard people to begin with. But, uh, but I think anti-bard people should read this because it may make you want to play a bard. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, James, I have not played a bard, but I would play one with that one. Ex- are, that you an, absolutely. are you an anti-bard person? No, I do discriminate against them, but I'm not anti-bard. <laughs> I'm just trying to yeah. prove my thesis that there's a link between people who hate bards and people who like salt and vinegar chips. There's a you know this, this is your uh, this is your crab flavored chip right here. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. It's the great unifying chip. So moving on, why don't we talk about the fighter archetypes? The cavalier. Uh, I mean, probably needs no introduction for the readers. It's a fighter who excels at mounted combat, um, which I think is really great to see because we don't really have one class or build yet that really excels at mounted combat um because you know you not every campaign is right for mounted combat especially if you're crawling through dungeons right horses sort of can't go into all the small spaces that your pcs can uh, so it was cool to see this as an option uh they get some combat superiority dice they have some charge abilities what did you guys think of the cavalier neil let's start with you a little sad just because I don't know why the ability to use a superiority dice is limited to the four options listed here. At least that's the way that I've read it, Mm -hmm. where if I were just a Battlemaster fighter, I would have 14 options. To me, it seems like it should have given this list up front and then given a smaller list that they could choose from when they level up. It just feels kind of limiting. Like, I really enjoy the flavor, and then the tail end of it is, again, very similar to the Battlemaster. So it's almost... It's almost fighter, battlemaster, cavalier. You know, if uh, if you want to word it that way. So a little a little bummed out that there weren't more options. I agree with that too. Yeah, you know, to that to that end, um, I thought that what as I was reading it that I was going to see like eventually you would pick more abilities from the battlemaster list. You know, to like like oh yeah, this is gonna sort of. Uh, move into that but you're right it it never really goes there with this um uh so yeah i I agree it was a little lackluster on those options scott you agree as well yeah i I have to say i've not played a a cavalier in D. &D. Uh, however i have done so in pathfinder they are great in pathfinder Mm. and this is just sort of a shadow to that gotcha Um, gotcha nowhere near it i would much rather be the battle master let me if ask, I had to play that. Let me ask you a question. What makes the Cavalier in Pathfinder fun to play? Oh, you have uh, different archetypes uh, that you can pick from. So uh, you've got your speed on anything you want. You can be the lawful good guy. You can be the guy who's um, the order of the cockatrice, which you are sort of uh, stuck up uh, um, into your own uh, <laughs> mind, uh, you know, the, uh, I can't think of the other ones offhand right now, gotcha. but even the, the powers here, the charge that you get in this one, the ferocious charger, pretty good. But in Pathfinder, you get better things already. I mean, you already do double damage with a lance when you charge. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty cool that you can add uh, up to two of your superiority dice to damage, so you could really knock them off, and you can knock them off their horse too, <laughs> or off their feet. And in Pathfinder, nice. Cavalier is its own class, right? It's not yes. a subclass of fighter. Yeah, own class, and then different archetypes. You can do anything you want with it. So yeah, this is a little sad. Gotcha. Now, James Hake, what did you think of the Cavalier? Um, I'll, I'll echo the disappointment that we've seen so far. I would like to see more Battlemaster stuff. But this Cavalier is indicative of something that I saw maybe a little, little more than a year ago. I think it was Mike Merles who said this on... Uh, either Twitter or one of the Wizards of the Coast features is that his biggest disappointment with 5th edition player's handbook is that almost every single class had subclasses that focused on an in-universe theme. Mm -hmm. Like, the wizards have their spell schools and the sorcerers have their bloodlines. Fighters, instead of being based around an in-world concept, were based around a mechanical concept. We had the champion, who was simple, the battle master, who was complex with maneuvers, and the eldritch knight, who had spells. And it created this divide, almost, that limited where they could go with future fighter subclasses because they had already set up this precedent of creating rules-based subclasses for these guys instead of more flavorful ones like the Cavalier and the, the upcoming Scout. And this, is, this seems to be something of an attempt to rectify that, mm-hmm. of taking mechanical ideas from the Battlemaster, which was very, very... I, I would think of it in the same way that the, the Warblade was in 3.5. I loved that class the Warblade, and sure. I, I tr- try to compare it to the Battlemaster whenever I can, but it looks like they're <laughs> taking mechanics and trying to fix that perceived mistake from way back in 2014. Nice. Nice Warblade reference, too, by the way. That was that was and a I, good poll. <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite, favorite supplement for 3.5. I loved that book. Yeah, yeah. That goes to show it, and so does the next... Um, archetype, the scout, you know, sort of sort of goes to prove that idea that we're looking at more in-universe as opposed to mechanical ideas. And the scout sort of takes the fighter and gives them, you know, more skill proficiencies and makes them a little bit better at uh, stealthing it up and, and being in the wilderness and that kind of thing. Uh, I am interested to hear about what you guys think of the scout. Uh, and I will throw this extra question out there. Uh, is it uh, encroach on the Rangers' territory a little too much. Uh, let's start with you, James. Unearthed Arcana, for the past, I want to say six months, has been throwing out variant Ranger after variant <laughs> Ranger after variant <laughs> Ranger. And this looks like another attempt to find a variant Ranger, uh, a spellless Ranger specifically. And I think that's a really interesting option to take it away from the ranger completely and just say, well, you know, you want your wilderness-based, tracking-based guy with a sword? Well, here, he's a fighter now. Our D&D rangers have spells. Deal with it. And <laughs> that's kind of cool. That's gutsy. I like to see that happen. It, you know, it again looks like a sub-sub-class of Battlemaster, like last time. Right. But last time we saw a ranger, well, it had this funky 2d6 hit die thing going on. And it feels to me like Wizards is just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And when you've got a whole bunch of people who are willing to look over this stuff and playtest it and throw out criticism and first thoughts like we are, it's a pretty good method. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it served them well, right? It served them with the launch of this edition very well, uh, and it continues to serve them well. So uh, D&D is, is still going strong if you look at all the, the data that's coming out there, which is great. How about you, Neil? What did you think of the Scout? James echoed a lot of the things that I was thinking. I'm like, oh, an, another attempt. And I don't know if it's <laughs> like an attempt to get enough options out there that eventually everyone's happy because they have the way that they get to be a ranger. <laughs> and after so many additions and so many different ways to do it, I mean, people just have what they latch on to. So hopefully this is yet another one that people enjoy. <laughs> Again, kind of bummed out that it's only three options now instead of four <laughs> for using superiority dice. I, For me personally, I would have to homebrew it if a player of mine brought this to the table and I would let them pick additional ones at 7th and 15th level. I there's I don't see any way around that. Mm-hmm. But I really do I really do like this one. I think I like this one. Yeah, well, and I think what's cool about these are, uh, you know, normally, and we've been saying that a lot, like, oh, we'd like to see more options. You know, James mentioned that about the the Bard College of Swords as well with the Blade Flourishes. I think normally wizards in their playtest stuff shows you as like the bare bones and usually has the idea in mind that they're going to to give more um so but it would be nice to to see more and uh certainly we'll all be talking about that when we get our surveys i'm sure for uh for this unearthed arcana article scott what about you what did you think of the scout pretty lackluster compared to what's in the player's handbook um i think it would make more sense to think of this guy as a bounty hunter I think if they give that a little more flair as a bounty hunter, this could be a lot more fun to play. So you don't have your magic. So you get a couple of skills that can help you in the wilderness. Um, You do get to use your superiority dice, at least on your weapon attack, which is nice. You can, what I would call, use it for dodging, which is nice. Um, And on any of your skill checks. So if you're hunting a prey, you know, this is a good way to do it. And then you get these more natural explorer um, feats that I would call them at seventh and fifteenth. I think this could be pretty fun to play with a little bit of a different flavor. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, that's always a great way to think about things, and uh, I am always think about things so straight on when I'm first reading them, and then people like Scott Dyer come into my life. And uh, and give something salt a spin. And vinegar. Yeah, yeah. It's those salt and vinegar people who who hate bards who are thinking outside the box. Uh, just, uh, but it but it is true, and that's actually that made me want to play this uh, fighter archetype. I was like, oh yeah, bounty hunter. That's awesome. I could totally be Boba Fett with this. And we're excited to hear what you people think. So head on over to thetomeshow.com. Find us in the show notes for this episode. Or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Because we want to hear from you. And we want to know what you like about this Unearthed Arcana article. And what you don't like about it. Uh, And now we are going to hear that interview with Rob Bowes of Lone Wolf Development. Okay, everybody, I am here with Rob Bowes, who is the president of Lone Wolf Development. Rob uh, also has a pet project, Realmworks, that I am really excited to talk to him about today. Uh, You might have heard of Realmworks uh, way back when, about, no, two years ago, when Liz Tice first came on the podcast to announce, uh, you know, that the 
product had launched. And uh, it is a really cool piece of campaign management software. And we're going to get into that. We're going to tell you what it is again in case this is your first time joining us. But Rob, welcome to the roundtable. Thank you. It's great being here. It's great to have you here. Why don't, before we get started and we jump into the project, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what your background is with tabletop RPGs. Well, it's probably best if we start at the fact that I'm probably older than most of your listeners. <laughs> when I was a kid, the Flintstones were brand new. Uh, that being said, I'm still a kid at heart, um, which I think is true for most people playing RPGs. Totally. And one of my favorite quotes is, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. <laughs> uh, the reason I bring up age is that I started playing RPGs back when they were brand new. And that colors my views on what makes tabletop RPG specials. I discovered D&D back in 1976 as a high school freshman. Basically, once I saw it, I was absolutely in love, dove headfirst into gaming, and I spent every available spare moment gaming uh, all through high school. I even wrote an adventure that was published back in 1980 in Judges Guild Journal. I don't know how many of your of the folks out there actually know what that is, but uh, it, think of it as like the um, the second tier gaming mag to like Dragon and Dungeon back in the late seventies and early eighties. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and so I was hardcore enough that that was where I spent all my time, except for the time I spent with computers. I got into computers back in the late seventies as well, and I've always dreamed of ways to blend gaming and computers together. Um, now, for most people with those two passions, they found their way to computer games. For me, though, computer games can't capture the magic of the tabletop experience. And so I've always focused my efforts on the digital tools to support tabletop gaming instead. Um, I actually started in the tabletop gaming industry by writing Army Builder for miniatures games and God, that was almost 20 years ago now. Uh, 1988, 1998, excuse me, was when that launched. Once PCs had enough horsepower, Hero Lab was born because nice. RPGs have always been my number one um, passion. And now there's enough horsepower for Runworks to be possible. So that's where I've poured all my my energies. And so let's talk a little bit about Realmworks. What is Realmworks for people listening at home? And why was this your passion? Why did you want to make this product? To answer that, we should probably start by establishing my personal frame of reference. Totally. That means asking what's an RPG to me. Um, to me, an RPG is a story, often an epic story where the PCs and their choices are an integral part of what gets written into history. The GM provides the framework, which is a collection of plots, subplots, and a world with its own history, and an assortment of NPCs to catalyze those plots. From there, it's a collaborative process of developing the story together, with the players making their own choices, the GM you know, figuring out how the NPCs will react to that, and most importantly, with the players sometimes doing things the GM never anticipated. That's the magic of tabletop RPGs over computer-based RPGs to me. It's that thinking outside the box is encouraged 
not fundamentally precluded because the programmers either didn't think of it or writing the code was too much work. Realmworks is a tool to do a lot of different things. It facilitates the creation of a living world, keeps it all organized, it makes everything readily accessible, lets you track and visualize all the interconnections between stuff. Basically, it's a Swiss army knife for GMs. If I have to break it down into pieces, I'd say that Realmworks is one part encyclopedia, which means tracking all the details and making it searchable with like full text search. Imagine Google for your game world, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one part organizer and cross-reference resource. That means weaving everything together through links and relationships. You're used to in your web browser, you know, you click on a link and it takes you to something that's connected to it. And imagine having all of that um, woven together for your grand world, your grand design. Realmworks is one part brainstorming resource. There are lots of subtly helpful prompts throughout Realmworks that provide plenty of fuel to get those creative juices flowing. I don't know about you, but for me, <laughs> there's there's those times when it's like, I've got a game in three days and I'm coming up with bupkis right now. <laughs> so it, it's it, we've really tried to make it a useful resource in that regard as well. Realmworks is one part visualization tool. Seeing how everything connect, is connected is amazingly useful, not to mention plot diagrams and partially revealed maps. That's one of the most powerful things, I think, within Realmworks. Totally. Um, and then it's one part historian, incrementally revealing content, including maps and such, makes it easy to see what the players have and haven't learned. Uh, you can also do, I love the, um, the reveal history, where you can see what the players learned during the last session because... Session recaps can otherwise become an hour long of meandering and discussion <laughs> instead of 10, 15 minutes of focused. Let's get, let's dive back into the new game. And lastly, it's one part res uh, player resource. Presenting the content to the players during the game session is something Realmworks really excels at, in my opinion at least. And we've got the player edition that makes it possible for players to view everything revealed outside the game session if if they so choose. I, I could easily go deep down a rabbit hole here and spend the next half hour detailing everything Realmworks does. <laughs> uh, so it's probably best if I stop here and mention something that Liz will shoot me if I don't mention. <laughs> uh, and that is the Realmworks Spotlight series we just started on our website. We started it last month. Oh, and nice. it's a video series to introduce Realmworks in more depth and outline some of the really cool things we're doing, we're, we're going to be doing, excuse me, with published content in the upcoming months. Uh, the great thing about the series is that you can actually see Liz show off Realmworks in action which is a whole lot better than me just talking about it here. I have to say, those are a ton of the exciting features. And, you know, I really like the automatic sort of link wiki creation that happens. Mm -hmm. um, that you, you don't have to create 
every single link within your wiki to link back to other pages and stuff. It's such a great campaign management tool. Like you said, you've got the the map reveals and you can reveal stuff to players and that kind of thing. It's really one of the best GM tools out there and there isn't really anything else like it. So it's really exciting that you also have this published material that you are able to use and there's videos showing people how they can get the most out of it um and there's been a a big announcement recently that you guys are partnering with pathfinder um and this is really really huge news maybe you can tell the people out there why it is huge news and what realmworks can now do for pathfinder players everywhere the most fundamental thing, in my opinion, is that Realmworks changes the way content is delivered to GMs, and it unlocks new ways in which that content can readily be used. The word readily is important here. Um, starting with a book or PDF requires the GM to do extensive work to transform the material into something he can run at the table. Uh, I've I've been doing it for years and I have still never found a fast and easy way of doing it. Any sort of customization of published material either requires a complete retyping of it so you can make the changes you want or you end up with a jumble of separate notes that make mistakes much too <laughs> easy. And there's nothing I hate worse or hate more, excuse me, than having to the term we use in our group is do a retcon, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, oops, I remember last session where we did this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we got to change that. And it's just like, oh, I hate that. So one of the main goals with Roamworks is to change all of that. Um, as I like to say, Roamworks finally brings RPGs into the new millennium of technology. Uh, some DAD players out there may remember the Core Rules CD-ROM and how that was a wonderful resource at the time. Oh, yeah. And basically, the license from the great folks over at Paizo is going to allow us to do something far beyond that for all things Pathfinder. Uh, imagine having the entire Pathfinder catalog woven together. Rules, setting, adventures, the works. Now imagine being able to easily adapt and tailor everything to your own vision. I don't like that name. I want to move this over here. Um, no, scratch that. Just get rid of that. I don't like that piece. Now imagine seamlessly what? blending all that published <laughs> content together with your own homebrew material. That's, I mean, that's the dream. That's it- the vision. And Paizo's <laughs> given us the green light to make that vision a reality for Pathfinder. And, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the Pathfinder catalog. It's enormous. So the undertaking of work that this must be must be insane for your team. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. At this point, I have to insert the obligatory disclaimer. We won't have all this immediately available at launch. We'll be rolling everything out in stages. We're going to start with an assortment of modules and adventure paths. Then we're going to add rule books along with more modules and adventure paths. And then we'll add the campaign setting material and along with more modules and adventure. I mean, the catalog, as you said, is ginormous and it's going to take us quite a bit of time to, to capture it all. But in addition to Realmworks uh, itself, we've developed a bunch of tools in house that streamline that process. So it's still not 
push a button and it all happens magically. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's much, much faster than trying to do it all by hand the old-fashioned way. We've also got lots of other publishers on board with this. I, I need to mention this. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, ranging from Green Running to Frog God, Cobalt, Cobalt Press, and plenty others. So, I mean, products like Pirate's Guide to Freeport, Razor Coast, they're all going to be available for Realmworks alongside the Pathfinder material. So there's going to be no shortage of stuff. And we're going to start with the modules and Adventure Paths, as I mentioned, because those are the things that are the most reusable for people. A huge number of, of gamers out there, my experience at least of this and talking to, to gamers over the last 40 years I've been playing, they center on, on what's efficient. It's a matter of being able to get something that they can run without all the time and effort to create everything themselves. As I mentioned earlier, sometimes those creative juices just aren't flowing. Sometimes you've got something great, but now the players, well, they needed to be level six before they go into this. Mm -hmm. And they're still at five. So you need something to send them off to as, as a side thing to get them bumped up. When that happens, modules are the most amazing resource because you can and with Realmworks you can basically grab a module drop it into whatever game you've got change the names of some places hook it in so that the npc that's in the module for how the players get the clues well you take those clues and you assign them over to this npc that the players already know in your setting and voila everything is good to go you're off and running that's something where I think Realmworks is going to be um, incredibly powerful at once we have all the published content available. So that's where we're going to be focusing first and foremost. Yeah, and that that makes me so excited because I love to, and I think most DMs are this way, I love to blend the homebrew with the stuff that's been published. And I love to blend stuff that's been published with other stuff that's been published, you know, bring, mm -hmm. bring the city of Freeport into, you know, uh, Midgard and bring in the gunslinger class and, and mash them all together mm -hmm. uh, with my homebrew deities. And this is going to allow me to do that, which is yep. really cool and keep track of it all. So it won't be, well, I'm going to need this book and this book and this book. And then I'm going to need to remember that I changed the name of this NPC. So that matches it's just all going to be there and it's i will be, be able a, to manipulate one place with yeah. all the edits exactly yeah. it's none of this fragmented disjointed collection of stuff that it's so easy to lose track of i, I don't know if you've ever encountered this but i know games Heck, this just happened um, to the last game not to me fortunately i wasn't running the game but the gm literally forgot to bring his external hard drive with a bunch of the game resources on it. Oh, jeez. So it's kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> and as a matter, at that point, you know, or you lose, somehow you forget to bring the one book that has a bunch of stuff in it. It's so easy to, to do that. Right. And having it all in one place, you can't screw it up at that point. I often like a setting that's maybe published for another system. And this is also going to make it so that I can hack 
settings and adventures made for other systems very easily and then use the game system that I want to use with them as well. Absolutely. That's one of the main differentiators between Realmworks and and Hero Lab is that basically there's a yin and a yang to every game. There's the story itself and then there's the game mechanics used to play out that story. Basically, Hero Lab encompasses the game mechanics half of the equation, and Realmworks is what I refer to as game system agnostic. It's basically just the story. So with um, when you've got settings for different game systems, with Realmworks, those can be very readily detangled from one another, and it would actually be very simple with Realmworks to bring in a setting from you bring in a setting from hell, excuse the language, you can bring <laughs> up in a setting, you could bring in something from a completely not even fantasy game system if you want. You could bring something from Shadowrun in, use that for a fantasy thing that involves tech, uh, technology, where now the the characters get thrust into this totally bizarre new world and mishmash it very, very easily because all the mechanics for uh, Shadowrun can be removed and you've got all the setting and all the places and all the people and all the crazy machinations going on within the setting. But now you've got characters that have whatever game mechanics system you want to use they're they're operating within that and you've got the perfect kit bash basically yeah it is really really awesome like i'm super excited about the fact that all of this published material this huge library of stuff is going to be available in an easy way to to hack and cut into and and to combine whatever I want with. One big question then is how can people get out there and get Realmworks? The easiest way to do that is go to the website. (laughs) All the links are there to all the other resources you might be interested in. So it's www.getrealmworks.com. And from there, we've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got all that stuff. Uh, You'll find links to all of that on that webpage. Let's talk a little bit then about Hero Lab, which is the other product. You've mentioned that a few times. What exactly is Hero Lab and why is that so great? As I mentioned, there's the yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. And so Hero Lab's focus is everything to do with the game system mechanics. So it focuses on character creation, encounter building, NPCs, monsters, combat tracking, things like that. For a complex system like Pathfinder or Shadowrun, Hero Lab's an amazing time saver. All the options in them, all the books are all in one place. So you just pick what you want from the list and all the calculations are automatically applied. If two bonuses don't stack, Hero Lab sorts it out for you. If you don't have the necessary prerequisites to take something, Hero Lab flags it to your attention. Basically, hours of sifting through books and triple checking all the intricate dependencies between your choices becomes a matter of minutes to explore the options and pick what you like best. Uh, one of the, the examples I love because this is the one of the most important reasons why we created Hero Lab in the first place is during play, applying buffs, debuffs, damage, similar things to that is just a matter of turning things on and off within Hero Lab. So imagine playing a barbarian 
starting to rage, and also needing to properly add in, and remember, the cleric's bless, the bard's inspiring courage, the wizard's haste, etc. Just thinking about that stuff makes my head hurt. I want to focus on the story and the action, not the numbers. Mm-hmm. With Hero Lab, you check the, a few boxes and boom, it's done. For GMs, we've also got uh, within Hero Lab components like the encounter builder and the tactical console to make it vastly easier to create balanced encounters and run them efficiently. So the main thing with Hero Lab is just streamlining the whole process of all the mechanics so you can focus on the creative side of stuff and not worry about the mechanics side. How do Hero Lab and Realm Works work together? As I mentioned, there's the yin and the yang. And since Realmworks and Hero Lab embody those two halves, they complement each other pretty darn well. Right. Realmworks is where the overall campaign, the story, is managed. So everything's searchable. It's all cross-linked. It's ready for presentation to the players. And all the details are right in front of you for reference. Individual encounters within Realmworks would contain Hero Lab portfolios of everyone involved. And those portfolios can be easily reviewed within Realmworks as stat blocks. From within Realmworks, you can then tailor encounters and NPCs by just clicking a button. The portfolio is sent off to Hero Lab where you edit it, and any changes are automatically stored back into Realmworks. Once it comes time to run the game, you can run an encounter by clicking a button to send the appropriate portfolio to Hero Lab for you know, encounter X. Uh, you've got a troll and a handful of his lackeys going up against the party. Well, with one click, you send that portfolio to Hero Lab, drop it in where you've already got the player characters' portfolios loaded, and now you can manage the entire encounter, including coordinating initiative, applying buffs, applying debuffs, tracking health, whatever else you need to monitor. The goal is to let you spend your time on the story, the game that's unfolding, and not have to deal with all the mechanics. It's essentially you created one tool, and then you created another, and you created a way for them to work together seamlessly, which means you really get like a third kind of campaign tool if you buy them both, which is pretty cool. Or really, I guess you get one really awesome tool would be the way to think of it. I think it is like most people are familiar with like Microsoft's Office Suite and um, Adobe's got their creative, creative suite cloud. with all of the the, uh, the graphical tools for that uh, in that uh, domain. Having one of those tools is really cool, but having multiples of them makes it very easy to let them work in concert with one another. And that's really what we're trying to accomplish between Realmworks and Hero Lab. So how can people get Hero Lab, which we should mention, you already have a deal with the people at Paizo and with a lot of Cobalt products and a lot of other publishers uh, to have files made for Hero Lab. So how can people get their hands on that and then start playing their favorite games with it? Hero Lab, similar to Romeworks, in that the URL is simply gethero.lab.com. Mm-hmm. And from there, you can get to all the details on the product, what game systems we support. Obviously, as you mentioned, Pathfinder. We've got stuff for uh, probably about a dozen different RPG game systems right now, I'm going to guess, somewhere in that range. 
So there's a wealth of stuff out there. Here is the big question, and uh, I'm glad that you're on the show because every time Liz is on, I, I ask her this, uh, and I think she's tired of answering it. So a lot of our listeners play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. We know from talking to Liz that you've, you would love a chance to work with Wizards of the Coast uh, and bring D&D to Hero Lab and or Realmworks. Uh, is there anything more that you might be able to say about that? Yes. Liz is always very cautious with what she says, and rightly so. <laughs> uh, from our perspective, obviously, as Liz has said, we'd very much like to work directly with Wizards to support 5th edition. Mm -hmm. And our objective has always been to do so through both Herolab and Realmworks. We've actually been in licensing discussions with Wizards since around the time 5th edition was launched. Oh. Um, you know, around the time when everything... Uh, first, there was the uh, was it the codename Morningstar stuff, and once the the wheels started to fall off that, we you know renewed discussions with them. But the path of securing a license has been fraught with hurdles. Mm -hmm. One key complication has been that we've always focused on securing a license for both Hero Lab and Realmworks together. Yet the two products actually present completely different hurdles from one another. We only recently came to that you know, conclusion, came to that realization more accurately, and split them apart within our licensing conversations. That should actually clear the path to licensing at least one product, if not both now, because we're not trying to, not trying to lump them under this, in the same way. They need to be treated differently for a variety of reasons, both on our side and on Wizard's side. With that change, we're now very bullish on the prospects for a D&D license in the near future for at least one, if not both, of the two products. Once we, once we decoupled them from each other, uh, we can treat them differently, and that will create some problems on our end. But <laughs> you, know, you know, that is the nature of, uh, of anything to do with licensing, especially with a huge and hot property like D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're looking to make those adjustments. Uh, an important variable to keep in mind in all of this is that Wizards has said they'll be releasing something similar to the third edition SRD for fifth edition. And at this point, we're actually anticipating that release to occur sometime relatively soon, within the next few months at least. That's going to be a game changer in many ways for 5th edition, just as it was for 3rd edition. We're already poised from that standpoint. For Hero Lab, we're basically ready to go as soon as the new SRD, or whatever name it's given. I, I don't know if Wizards is going to call it an SRD or something else. When that's released by Wizards, we'll be able to uh, get Hero Lab support out for that SRD in very short order. What the SRD actually consists of remains to be seen. However, our assumption, and it's important, this is just a guess, it is an assumption, is that it'll be somewhere between the basic rules and the full rules of the player's handbook and the DMG. Once we know what it is, and that means also what isn't included in the new SRD, we'll make the necessary adjustments to what we include, and then we'll get Hero Lab support out. I think it is a pretty safe bet that Hero Lab support for 
D and D should be out sometime this quarter. Wow. That's my. That is my. Again, that is a guess. <laughs> obligatory disclaimer. All of this is predicated entirely on what the SRD does and doesn't allow, which we don't yet know. Uh, Wizards has not divulged any of that information to us. So we're going based on reading the tea leaves, comments made by Mike Merles and that sort of stuff and in, in interviews he's done where we're pretty sure that we will be able to do something. And we've invested all the time and effort to make sure that Assuming we can, it'll be very, very quick for us to get support out under the uh, whatever the constraints are of the SRD. I'm just calling an SRD because I don't know what a better term for it would be. Right sure. Now. Well, and I have to say, I am excited by that news, and I am very hopeful because I think you know I would love for them to work with you, a company who has proven to make things that people like and people enjoy and it could work hand in hand with them very seamlessly. Uh, so I too am hopeful. Um, you know, certainly I can hear the listeners saying, well, they said there was going to be an SRD last year and, and there wasn't one. So everybody right. keep that in mind that a lot of this is predicated not on the actions of the people at Lone Wolf, um, <laughs> you know, but... Yeah. Uh, we can't release anything under an SRD until there is an SRD. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but we, we have done all the work on our end so that should there be an SRD, we'll be able to jump on it very, very quickly. Now, one thing also, if we are able to successfully secure a formal license in with, with Wizards, that would obviously allow us to do far more in support of D&D than the SRD is going to make possible. Of course, of course. So that's that's our... That is our objective. That's what we want to achieve. And we are still working towards that goal diligently. And I'm, as I've said, I'm, I'm, we're pretty bullish on that becoming a reality. Yeah, well, you certainly have the support of many, many people out there. So if there's anything uh, the listeners can ever do, uh, if we can, you know, have a social media uprising and, you know, t tweet with a specific hashtag or whatever it is, we're, we're here for you. <laughs> that Anything like that would be wonderful. Honestly, a, a great way would potentially be Wizards does their regular surveys. Mm -hmm. And simply, I'm sure a lot of your listeners um, that are, you know, avid fifth edition fans are participating in those. If if you're not, that's a plug for for wizards and that you know check these out because it's a way to let wizards know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see them to focus on, and that last bit, what you want to see them focus on. You can always throw in a plug for you know having Hero Lab and or Realmworks support. Made available. Oh, yeah. You know what? That is a great idea. Uh, and everybody should go and do that when the new survey comes out. Um, so, you know, and, and uh, let wizards know whenever they ask, uh, because they do ask sometimes on Twitter and what other products do people want to see? Don't forget about digital products. Just because you can't hold them in your hand doesn't mean they're not a product that you don't want. Uh, so. <laughs> All those double negatives, and it actually made perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, Rob Bows, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, as I mentioned, the websites, mm -hmm. uh, getherolab.com and getromeworks.com. 
There's the main company website is wolflayer.com. W-O-L-F, like the animal, L-A-I-R, like where animal lives. <laughs> We've got both Hero Lab and Roamworks on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter as um, at Lone Wolf Devel. And we've also got a monthly new email newsletter that anyone's welcome to sign up for on our website. So if you're interested in potential licensing announcements for Hero Lab and or Realmworks and what might be in the offing, especially for uh, D&D 5th edition, sign up for the newsletter because that's where, um, that's where you'll hear all about it. Excellent. Well, and we will make sure that we link all of that information over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Rob Bowles, thank you very much for coming on the roundtable today. Thank you very much for having me here. Okay, guys, I think that is going to do it for the roundtable this week. But before we go, panelists, we want to know where can you be found on the internet? James Hake, let's start with you. You can find me at James J Hake, H-A-E-C-K dot Tumblr.com or at Twitter. And you can find me uh, editing all sorts of stuff over at Insider Magazine, which is up on Patreon right now. That's right. And uh, your latest published article is by a dude who really knows his stuff. What a great yes, writer. Some guy James. named James Intercaster. Uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for being on the show today, James. Uh, Scott Dyer, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Azarin the Fake. That's A-Z-A-R-I-N underscore the underscore fake. Excellent, excellent. And Neil Powell, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me, of course, at the Dungeon Master's Block, uh, but you can definitely find that on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast thing you do. And I am on Twitter at Jotemaniac. Um It's like Jack of all trades, EAC. Now, now you know how I made my name. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well... Uh, Neil, thank you very much for being on the show. And yes, it thank was, you. Yeah, yeah. So thanks to all three of you, to James, to Scott, to Neil, to uh, my guest, Rob Bowes. All right, everyone. You can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. I'm talking full adventures, monsters, magic items, backgrounds, all kinds of goodies that you should check out. And it's all free. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup, and thanks to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling, and keep on listening to The Roundtable. <laughs>